Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Daniel Stafford spent over half a century as an author and evangelist. This sermon was preached in 1978 at the camp meeting held at God's Bible School and College in Cincinnati, Ohio. And he titles this sermon, Finding Elijah's God. I know you're going to enjoy this wonderful message. Keep passing it on, keep passing it on, keep passing it on, and on. Everybody that appreciated that truth that was given last night, say amen. amen. Everybody that's going to walk in the light of it, say amen. amen. Well, that wasn't quite as strong as the first amen, but if all of you will just actually keep your word, camp meeting has begun. It's not the hearer of the word, but it's the doers of the word that are going to receive the blessing. So let's all do our best, and if we will, I'm sure that God will help us. I want to read to you this morning from the second book of Kings, the second chapter, beginning at verse 9 and reading through verse 15. The second book of Kings, the second chapter, beginning at verse 9 and reading through verse 15. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass as they still went on and talked that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. And when the sons of the prophet which were to view at Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. We come this morning, dear Lord, asking that you will continue to direct in this service uh, how good when thou art leading, how good when everything falls into place, uh, and the Holy Spirit uh, has the preeminence. Uh, speak to us from thy word, say clearly what you want us to hear, and then, Lord, when we have heard, uh, may we all be constrained to do whatever you would bid us to do, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. 
Our text this morning is found in the 14th verse that I read in your hearing. It's that old question that's been asked through the years, and yet I think it's one that we could profit if we would ask again, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And as God would help me this morning, I'd like to speak to you from this thought, finding Elijah's God. Finding Elijah's God. The Bible makes it plain that one of the great characteristics of the last days will be skepticism. You and I have lived to see a day when men will unashamedly question the very foundational truths upon which our founding fathers based their Christian faith and their Christian hope. It'd be a waste of your time and mine if I would try to labor with the fact that you and I have lived to see a day when men and women will stand behind the pulpit Without any blush of shame, they'll try to deny the virgin birth. They'll try to deny the efficacious death of Christ on the cross. They'll try to explain away all the power of the miracles. But really, this is not the form of skepticism that I am so vitally concerned about this morning. There's a more subtle form that has invaded its way into the ranks of the holiness people. And really, this is what is disturbing me and one of the ways that you detect it, uh, you're hearing so many people make this statement. If there is anyone that is sanctified. Don't you see that that's a dead giveaway? Uh, that down in the heart of that individual, uh, there is a question mark uh, as to whether they uh, really uh, have uh, the experience. Now, I was reared in the state of Florida. Nothing too significant about that. But when I was just a little individual, someone was so generous, they gave me a good case of old-fashioned itch. I mean the three-point type. You stand on one foot and scratch with both hands and then scratch with the other leg that you're not standing on, and you do a good job of it, you know. Well, now, I had to scratch that stuff. My mother used every remedy that she could find, but I scratched it for weeks before I was able to scratch it out. Now, if no one else in the state of Florida ever had a case of the itch, you could talk until doomsday and you'd never get me to doubt that there was such a thing as old-fashioned itch. I had it and I scratched it and I know that I do know that it is a reality. If you've ever been sanctified completely entirely, if the blessed Holy Ghost has ever come in his cleansing, purging, refining, baptismal power, if he's ever purged out that old inner dross and ever taken his seat on the throne of your affection to be seated there without a rival, all the imps in hell can say no, but that won't make you have the first doubt. You will know that you do know that there is such a thing as the experience of being sanctified completely entirely. Now, the devil knows that skepticism is the arch enemy of faith. The Bible tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you would allow me this morning, I'd like to give you a little definition for faith that intrigues me. One has said that faith are those arms of trust that reach up and embrace the promises of God simply because God said so. 
Not because of anything the eye can see nor anything the hand can feel. But God said it was so and faith said, well, I believe that and acts as though it is an established fact. Now the devil knows that if he can inject any skepticism in your heart or mind, those arms of trust will not go up. And when they fail to go up, we fail to give God a channel through which he can unleash himself in his power and in his might. And the reason today that we're not seeing the miraculous is not because God is impoverished, not because God has grown weak, not because God is not desirous of moving in our midst, but it's because those channels are not being opened through which God can manifest himself. And Jesus asked a very pertinent question there in Luke the 18th chapter in verse 8. He said, when the Son of Man cometh, will he find preachers? No, he knew there'd be all kinds. Will he find churches? No, he knew there'd be all types. Will he find schools? No, he knew there'd be a variety of those things. But you remember what he said? Shall he find faith on the earth? You say, Brother Stafford, what do you find to be the most scarce thing as you travel a few miles? The thing that seemingly is most scarce this morning is that simple childlike faith that just opens God the channel doesn't look at condition but just keeps his eyes glued on God and just believes that God is bigger than condition and circumstances and expects God to move in a miraculous way we're seeing so little of that today and it's not because we're all scallywags it's not because we're all running to the places of the world but it's because the devil in a sly subtle way has injected so much skepticism into our heart. We've seen the divisions of uh, men and women. Uh, churches no longer did get along. Uh, and there's been so much compromise. Uh, and there's been so much bickering uh, until a lot of people have got vinegar where it used to be sugar. Uh, and even though they're as clean as a hound's tooth, they're still as bitter as they can be. Uh, and God's not pleased with that uh, any more than he is uh, with a worldly crowd uh, that's letting down uh, in their standards. And everybody said, oh, me, that can't say amen. Uh, but if you can say Amen, I'd like to hear it this far up here, you know. Well, that's good. Well, anyhow, the devil is trying to inject all the skepticism that he can. And this poor old confused world, they're saying, where is the God of Elijah? Where is that God to whom a man prayed in the yesterdays? And in answer to that prayer, God locked the heavens so tight until for a space of three and a half years, not one drop of rain fell. And then the same man prayed again and God unlocked the heavens and the heavens gave forth their rain in abundance. Instead of you and I being critical of their question, we ought to be ready to tell them where they can find the God of Elijah. Not a God similar to the God of Elijah. Not a God that has some characteristics that the God of Elijah had. But you and I ought to be able to tell them where to find the very God to whom Elijah prayed and from whom Elijah received his answer. And so this morning for a little while, I want to try to suggest three places where the God of Elijah can be found. Where is the God of Elijah? Well, I'll tell you where he is. He's seated upon his throne. Now you might have thought I was going to tell you a deep dark secret, but had I told you a deep dark secret, I would not have told you the truth. 
If I tell you the truth this morning, I must tell you that the very God to whom Elijah prayed and from whom Elijah received his answer, that very God is seated this morning on the very same throne that he was seated on when Elijah prayed to him and received his answer from him. He has not abdicated and neither has he been defeated by a stronger foe. But he's still in business, doing business in the same old manner, giving the same old weight for the same old price, hasn't changed one iota from the time that Elijah prayed to him and received his answer from him. Therefore, his eyes are upon us. His ears are open to our prayers. His hands are extended toward us. He's anxious to come to our rescue. He doesn't want the devil to push us around. He wants to watch us as the apple of his eye. He wants every one of us to be more than conquerors. In fact, he has so much. If you'll send up any size container of faith, he'll not only fill it up, but he'll just heap it up and just keep putting on as long as there's any room for it to be put on, for he's desirous that you and I shall be victorious. Now, a lot of people have worried about the Lord unduly. Doctors will tell us that heart condition and hypertension is two of the most deadly potentials of death for the average person. Most people worry over those things that never materialize. And a lot of people have spent a lot of time worrying about the dear Lord. A lot of people have felt like the dear Lord is just not going to weather all the pressure that's coming against him. It wasn't very long ago until Hitler was goose-stepping across the pages of history, leaving his bloody trail. A lot of people suggested that Hitler would go right up to the throne room, take little old God to the throat, pull him off of the throne. But you know, God never worried a moment. God knew that old Hitler would have to go, and Hitler's been gone through the years. But the God of Elijah, he lives on. Then came old Hannibal Joe Stalin and a lot of the smart preachers that could preach on prophecy. They said this is the red beast coming out of the north. Why old Hannibal Joe, he'll go right up to the throne room, take the little old God by the throat, pull him off the throne. But you know God knew that old Joe would have to go. And old Joe's been gone now, but the God of Elijah, he lives on. There'll be others that will come with their threats, but don't you get too disturbed about it. God has weathered many a storm and God has faced the opposition through the years and God has come out victorious and when it's all over and when hell has done its worst God's still going to be high and lifted up and exalted above all of the pressure and against all of the opposition now the fact that God is seated upon his throne that proves some glorious truths first it proves that he's steadfast in his position. Isn't it wonderful when you can positionize an individual? We're living in such a changing day. People will come to me and they say, do you know so-and-so? I say, yes, I've known them. Have you ever worked with them? Yes, I've worked with them. Well, what about them? Well, I say, I haven't seen them for about six weeks. I can't really be sure. We're living in a changing day. 
like one man, he met a business friend and he said to him, uh, I understand that your wife has gone shopping this morning. He said, that's right. Well, he said, my wife would like to meet her downtown. said, what does she look like? Well, he said, I don't know. For said, uh, she has that suicide hair dyed with your own hands and I don't know what bottle she used uh, this morning. And so even husbands can't tell you what their wives look like in this day. And we've reached a time when there's such a changing. It's marvelous when you can positionize an individual. It's marvelous when you can know where they'll be and what stand they'll take and what stand they'll keep on taking, whether it be popular or whether it be unpopular. We're living in a changing day. Now, it wouldn't be too complimentary to call people grasshoppers, but did you know the actions of people would remind you of grasshoppers to a great extent? I was over in the Ozark Mountains in the state of Arkansas in a revival meeting. The pastor had a boy, and I had three. And so the pastor on a Saturday morning said, uh, Would you boys like to go fishing? And so all six of us, uh, his one and my three and the pastor and myself, we went fishing there in the Ozark Mountains. As we neared the little lake, I had one question. I said, What are we going to use for bait? Well, they said, We're going to use grasshoppers. Well, I'd use grasshoppers, so that didn't excite me, but I had one more question. I said, what are we going to catch him with? Well, he said, you've got it on the end of your arm. I said, just use it. So I'd try to sneak up on that grasshopper. I don't know where he had ESP or what he had, but when I'd try to, somehow between my endeavor to get that hand down so quickly, he got the message, and I'd pat the ground, and he'd be gone. You know, I tried to pastor four churches. I tried to pastor for 10 years. And I watched the action of people that said they loved God with all of their heart. And I confess to you that some of their actions reminded me so much of a grasshopper. Here's a woman could stand up on a Wednesday night and she could wrinkle her chin like a bunny rabbit. She had a few crocodile tears and in a high-pitched voice, say, oh, I love God with all of my heart. She was teaching a Sunday school class, but on a Sunday morning when you thought she'd be there prayed up and ready to try to help those little young minds toward God. No, sir. She was gone. Her kinfolks was going to have a feed that would give 36 indigestion, and she was going over there to be one of those that would be taken by carver sales or something else for a few days, you know. And oh my, here's an individual, my, I love God with all of my heart, man, you can count on me, the Lord can depend on me, but just, just when you need him, he's not there. Everybody that can't find room to shout over here, this aisle is completely open. You can just use it all that you want to, you know. Oh, my. But it's marvelous when you can positionize an individual. Say, I've got good news for you this morning. The very fact that the God of Elijah is seated upon his throne, that proves that he's steadfast in his position. If you ever find him, you can go back any time you desire. Don't you worry. You can go at the coming up, the going down of the sun. You can go at high noon. You can go at midnight. Don't worry. There'll never be a busy signal. He'll never be anxious for you to get off the line. He bids you to come. He welcomes you to come. And any time you desire to find him, you can rest assured he'll be right there where you found him the last time. For the God of Elijah is seated upon his throne. But not only that. The fact that he's seated upon his throne, that proves that he's steadfast in his nature. 
And I tell you, it's wonderful when you can find something that is established. We're living in such a changing day. But I'm glad that there is a God that changeth not. If he's ever been holy, he's holy this morning. If he ever loved holiness, he loves it this morning. If he ever provided a fountain that will purge and cleanse the heart and make the heart pure, that fountain is still flowing this morning. And if he's ever prepared rewards for those that are holy, those rewards are vouchsafe. And if he's ever anxious to come back and get a crowd that's ready, I believe he's right on the verge of making his appearance. Where is the God of Elijah? He's seated upon his throne. Now the second thing I want you to notice, where else is the God of Elijah? Well, I'll tell you where he is. He's where each one of us have placed him by our will. I hope you'll get this little truth, so I want to emphasize it this morning. He's where each one of us have placed him by our will. Now when you stop to think how great, how eternal, how almighty, how indescribable that God is, when you get honest and realize how small and finite and insignificant that you and I are, and yet the great, the eternal, the almighty God, he allows each one of us to place him in association to our life where we decide for him to be. It's not condition, it's not circumstances, it's not your mother-in-law, it's not your children that's breaking your heart that determines your spiritual condition. There's only one thing that determines your spiritual condition. It's not the Republicans or the Democrats or high taxes. The one thing that determines your spiritual experience is your own will. You're just as near or you're just as far from God this morning as you want to be. I hear a lot of people say, oh, I want to get nearer. Well, if you do, there's plenty of room. Move up. No one's preventing you. Truth of the matter is, I'm walking in all the light I want to walk in this morning. Does that shock you? You say, Brother Stafford, don't you believe in spiritual growth? I certainly do. And I certainly have room to do more of that. But when the truth comes just up to the point we have to face up to it, The reason I'm not walking in more light is because I don't want to walk in more light. If I wanted to, why couldn't I? I've got a willpower. Who's preventing me from doing it? Why don't we face up to that? You're just as near, you're just as far as you yourself really desire to be. And it'd be wonderful if we would realize that. God allows you to place him in association to your life wherever you determine that he shall be. Now, to many people this morning, God is afar off. There's something that separates between them and God. And, of course, that something is sin. The prophet Isaiah said, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, neither his ear heavy that he cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not answer. Now, many people this morning find that there's a great separation between them and God. It's not that God desires to be way out there, but they love sin more than they love God. And whenever you love sin more than God, you can rest assured there's going to be a great gulf between the two. Now, many people find that they're in a state of civil spiritual war. 
They have the two minds. They have the mind of Christ with which men are born when they're quickened into life. And they yet have that old carnal mind with which men are born when they're born physically. And these two minds war one against the other. The carnal mind is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. You can't educate it. You can't train it. You can't bribe it. There's nothing that can be done to it in the human. It'll have to be purged out, root and branch, by the cleansing baptism of the Holy Spirit. If one vestige of it remains in the heart, that one vestige will be in a state of hostility, deep-seated hostility or enmity against God. Now, these two minds, they war one against the other. And it creates a sad situation. Years ago, uh, the old-fashioned way that they used to determine uh, if a man had too much uh, John Barleycorn uh, on board, they had a straight line in the police station. Now, don't any of you men nod your head like you remember it. That'd be a dead giveaway. But uh, that's the way they used to determine if a man had too much John Barleycorn. They said, walk this line. Now, this was what uh, they were dealing with. They knew that it's a physical law that when a certain amount of alcohol gets into the system, it disturbs one's equilibrium or power of balance. And I don't care how determined you are to walk straight. When you've got enough John Barleycorn under your belt, you're going to find when you lift up this foot and you're planning for it to stop over there, it may stop over here. And when you want this one to stop here, it may stop over here. And that's the reason when you see a fellow taking the entire sidewalk, he's not desiring to do that. What he really wants to do is walk as straight as a string, but it's a physical impossibility for him to do it because something has disturbed his spiritual equilibrium or power of balance. Well, now, that's exactly what happens to a person that's not sanctified. You've got good intentions, and maybe you had a godly mother and dad, and you want to follow their example, and you've been quickened into life, and you've tasted the good things of God, and you've found out that God's way is the best way, but you've got something within that just won't behave itself. Under pressure, it doesn't want to cooperate with the leadership and the pulling of the Spirit, and therefore there's a struggle and many people today they're just staggering along in their spiritual pursuit mentally they know what they desire to do but their heart has something antagonistic on the inside if it isn't cleansed out they'll never be able to live consistently I go back to hold a revival meeting maybe a church where God had seemingly moved an unusual power you go back for the second meeting and it's just like you've turned the faucet off no glory, no fire. And I say to the pastor, what's wrong? And then he'll tell me some individual that seemed to be the spiritual powerhouse in the church. But under the right provocation, somebody did the wrong thing and they blew their stack and my, their influence just went like poison through the congregation and that's happened over and over and over and over to many people. God, his will is in a state of struggle between their will. But now there's a few people that they've reached that point they'd rather have the awareness of the abiding presence of the blessed Holy Spirit than to have any or everything this old world has to offer. This is the story that we have here before us. Elijah was going to soon be taken away to heaven. 
And God had a broad-shouldered ministerial student that could carry on the work of the Lord, for God was the one that provided the power. And so the Lord told Elijah what to do. And Elijah went over and he found this young ministerial student, Elisha. And he said, uh, ask of me what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. Well, you know how uh, bashful that ministerial students are. He said, I want twice the religion you've got. Of course, he didn't phrase it in that way. He said, I want a double portion of your spirit. I imagine when uh, Elijah's eyes kind of focused uh, and became normal again, he said, little man, you've asked a mouthful. No, he didn't say it exactly like that. He said, you've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, he said, it's not an impossibility. If you really want it bad enough to pay the price for it, you can have it. Now, he said, here's the price. He said, if you see me, when I shall be taken from you, it shall be so unto you. But if you see me not, it shall not be so. Well, now, let me see, Elijah, when are you going to leave none of your business? Well, where are you going to leave from? None of your business. Well, what time will you depart? None of your business. But if you see me, when I shall be taken from you, it shall be so unto you. Now, if this is important enough that you won't let anything divide your attention, if this thing is important enough until you won't allow anything to distract you even momentarily, when I go up, then that old mantle will come down. But now, if you get distracted momentarily, I'll be gone and you can forget it. Elisha said, that's good enough for me. Here we go. Say, Elisha, have you ever noticed this? I'm not interested in that. I'm watching this. Say, Elisha, I want to show you this. No, sir, you're not about to show me that. I'm looking at this. How long they went that way, I don't know, but I know this. I know that when that old fiery elevator started down, Elisha saw it. And he cried out, Alas, Master, and the last act of faith. He took off his old garment, for he wasn't going to wear that anymore. Down came fluttering that coarse garment that had been on the shoulder of Elijah, and it just fit like a heart shackling mark suit on the shoulders of Elisha. God takes his workmen on to heaven, but his work goes on, for God is the source of power. And he works through yielded instruments. And when men and women will be that channel, God can carry on in his work. And I'm glad, thank God, that Elisha got exactly what he asked for. They tell me if you read the Bible carefully, you'll find that Elijah performed seven miracles and then he was taken to heaven. They tell me if you read the same Bible carefully, you'll find that Elisha performed 13 miracles and then he died. But they say if you won't stop reading, if you'll keep reading, you'll find that after he was dead and buried, they was about to bury another fellow, but a marauding band appeared and they didn't have time to do it and so they pushed him down into a sunken grave and it happened to be the sunken grave of this fellow Elisha. And the Bible said when he touched the bones of Elisha, he came alive, and I'm drawing on my imagination. I think he outrun the whole outfit, for he had more power than they had. Now, over in Alabama, 13 and 1 is 14, and over in Georgia, twice 7 is 14. So the young preacher said to the great prophet, I want twice the religion you got. And he got it because he didn't have divided interest. He didn't allow anything to distract his attention. If you see me, then I'm taken from you. It'll be so unto you. There's a few people that have come to that place as an act of their own will. They've had a little consultation with their own heart and they've settled it. 
I'd rather have the abiding presence of the blessed Holy Ghost than to have any or everything this old world has to offer. Regardless of what position I might acquire, regardless of what temporary fame I might amass, regardless of how much finance I might pile around me, it all pales into insignificance. I'd rather have him than to have any or everything this old world has to offer. Let me say it again. God is just as near as you, no, no one else, you, have determined that he shall be. But now let me close. Where else is the God of Elijah? I'll tell you where he is. He's waiting for one act of faith. Now the songwriter said, standing somewhere in the shadow, you will find Jesus. It is absolutely amazing how woefully my musical education has been neglected. It's just amazing how much I don't know about music. In fact, uh, when I look at a song and I see what they tell me are notes, they look like little babies are trying to climb through a barbed wire fence. And so I sing the letter. I just open my mouth and let her fly and what comes out uh, is absolutely amazing. I can sing two or three songs to the same tune or two or three tunes to the same song. I'm not bound like some of these more trained singers are, you know. And uh, I confess to you that maybe I don't catch on to everything the writers are trying to convey. A lot of times I hear a song, and at least that's what the author said it was, a song, I wonder sometimes if it's not a kind of a mixture between a squeal of a cat that didn't get its tail through the door before the door closed firmly or a baby that is really uncomfortable, you know, for I hear them grunt and squeeze and scream and finally they try to announce that that's a certain number and I said, well, I'm glad the cat got his tail out of the crack. But anyhow, be that as it may, I do know when a song intrigues me. And sometimes a song will convey a message to me. Now, I heard that song standing somewhere in the shadow, You Will Find Jesus. I liked the tune from the very beginning. I liked its tempo, but I didn't really fully comprehend its message until one day I heard it again. And seemingly the lights came on. Now, this may not be the message that you received, but it's the one I got. Seemed like the songwriter said, When the sun sets at high noon, when the dark clouds wants to shroud your shoulders like a shawl, when the evil winds begin to blow and the enemy approaches from every direction, when it looks like all hell is vomiting out its fury against you, don't throw your hands up in panic, but adjust your eyes to the gloom. And standing right there at the point of need is the one that said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. I'm a very present help in the time of trouble. In the time of trouble, call upon me, and I will hear thee, and I will deliver thee. I don't know about you, but I just am convinced in my own heart I'll profit if I'll spend my time looking for the one that said he had never leave me, then I will if I spend my time worrying about what the old enemy is liable to do. But I believe with all of my heart the Lord is looking for a chance to show himself strong. You hear it over the radio quite often. I hope you don't hear it over the other instrument. That'd be a giveaway if you did. But anyway, uh, you hear it over the radio about this physical fitness program the president is urging everybody to enter into. Say we overeating Americans, we're fat and we're flabby and uh, 
we need to tone up, you know, and we need to get in here and exercise a little bit. And so I try to do that. People laugh at me. They see me with my jogging shoes on. I probably won't jog here because there's not room for me to jog, but I usually run every day. Of course, I'm just a young fella. If I ever quit being a boy, I may quit running, but I hope I don't because I'll uh, live to be a boy much longer than some of you will uh, if you don't start doing a little exercise. Well, I've got off of that, but enough said. But anyhow, uh, we are hearing so much about this fitness program today. You know, I believe the Lord really desires to get on the fitness program himself. For I read over here in Second Chronicles 16 and 9, uh, it said the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Now, what are you looking for, Lord? Are you looking for oil? No, that's so black and filthy. I put that from a quarter to four miles in the earth. Well, Lord, are you looking for gold? No, that's so plentiful where I live. We use it for paving material. Well, Lord, are you looking for diamonds? No, we have those in abundance. We make backyard fences where I live out of those things. Well, Lord, are you looking for pearls? No, we've got them so big over where I live. We make a gate out of one of them. That's not what I'm looking for. Well, Lord, what are you looking for? Well, I'm looking for a chance uh, to show myself strong in behalf of those whose hearts uh, are perfect toward me. If I could find just anybody that would dare to put their little old puny shoulder against a great boulder that was too large for them to move, I'd just like to join ranks with them and put my shoulder alongside of theirs, and I'd just like for that seemingly impossible thing to have to give ground. All I want is just to find somebody that will live right and their heart is right and they can just die to believe me they don't have to have the strength I've got plenty of it all I need is just somebody that will open me a channel and give me a chance to show myself strong in behalf of those whose hearts are perfect toward me I don't know how you feel but I believe this morning that God would like to roll back some more seas. I, like, I believe he'd like to stop some more suns. I think he'd like to go in and lock some more lion's jaws. I think he'd like to take the heat out of the flames. I think God would just like to exercise himself and show himself strong if somebody would just dare to believe him and open him a channel and give him a chance to release his power and his might. Now, I like the way the scripture said here, when Elisha struck the waters, the waters parted. I hate to say this this morning. You're the wonderful group of people, and I like to see this mark of distinction, uh, the gray around the temple uh, of many of you, for that tells me that you're intelligent and uh, that you're gracious and you've matured and you're just wonderful people, you know. But after I've uh, puffed you up, now I'm going to puff you down. Did you know you were smarter when you were a kid than you are right now? Isn't that deflating? When I was a little old two-headed boy, I, had, I was much smarter than I am right now on certain things. One of the things was going swimming. Did you know that any boy can beat his dad all to pieces going to swimming? I remember I was reared in Gainesville, Florida. That's the university city of the state of Florida. I lived three blocks of the university there. And uh, before the university built their own swimming pool, uh, they held their meets at a little uh, uh, white sandy uh, uh, lake they called it Freezer's Pond. Well, when the university built their swimming pool, uh, Freezer's Pond became the pride and the joy of all the boys for a three-mile area. It was located ideally 
It was in a field about a quarter of a mile from the fence and there was a decline to where if you're riding along the road, you can't see who's in Freezer's Pond. Well, a group of the boys would start to go swimming and they'd get to the fence and you know what would happen. One would throw out the challenge, the last one in, and of course uh, what they'd say was, uh, I'm not allowed to say the law, but anyhow, they used to say that, you know. Well, of course, nobody would take that challenge. And so they'd just start off just like they were scared. And they'd head toward Freezer's Pond, and while they was a-running at breakneck speed, they was a-taking off everything, you know, got right down to the birthday suit. And the first one that got there, he went as high as he could, went out as far as he could, went down as deep as he could, and stayed as long as he could. And when he came up, he was a-spraying water like a geyser, and he was saying, Come on in, boys! The water's fine. But now you let that same fellow grow up and mature. And then watch him when he goes swimming. Have you ever watched him? <laughs> he looks at that water and he said, My boy, whew, that sure looks like it's cold. I, I, I better test that. I'll take my big toe thermometer and I'll just check it. And so he sneaks up on that water, you know, and he puts about half of a joint of his big toe and a chill goes all over it. Whew, boy, I thought that was cold. But I never dreamed it was that cold. But after a little bit, his confidence is restored. And he said, well, now, really, was that thermometer correct? I'll try it one more time. And he sneaks up on the water, and he takes about half of his big, ooh, and a chill goes all over him. And he backs up. The coldest way in the world to go swimming is big toe first. The best way in the world to go swimming is Gideon head and ears. And so it is with salvation. So many people have stood at that place where God was desirous of getting them in. But the old devil brought to their thinking, what will the kinsmen say? What will the loved ones say? What will they say on the job? And many an individual has a spiritual chill right on the bank where there was help and where there was hope. I tell you, if you're going to ever get in, just get wholly reckless and just dive in head and ears and go in as far as you can and stay under as long as you can. That's the best way in the world. When Elisha struck the waters, the waters parted. Now, if he'd have been an intelligent, homeless person, he'd have got a, a copy of the Jerusalem Gazette or he'd have turned on the latest program to listen to the river stage. What did he care about the river stage? What did he care whether it was rising or falling? He had in his hand that coarse garment that had been the channel to which God had unleashed his power. He had seen that old water standard attention before. He knew the same God was on the same throne. His power hadn't diminished. He didn't care if it was flood season. All he wanted was to get to that water. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? Little wonder that that water congealed and he was able to walk along dry shod. Fifty ministerial students over there, they were having a class, you know, of observation. They didn't have to have any professor that day. All they needed was the right example, and God had the right example for it. Here's 50 ministerial students in their class of observation, and they said, now we want to see somebody that dares to believe God. We want to see somebody that will become a channel and where God can unleash himself and manifest himself in unusual power. Look at that. Here comes a fellow. He's got a barrier. There's the poor old Jordan River, and it's out of its banks. It's flood season. He doesn't have a boat. He didn't even have a log. He doesn't have anything to help him across. How's he going to get across? Let's watch him. 
And when he got there without any hesitation, Elisha, he smote the waters, the waters congealed, and he walked through dry shod. Every one of them looked at each other, and they said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. We've seen an individual that's become an open channel through which God can unleash his power and his might. I don't know how you feel this morning. I had what you'd call a daydream. One time in my life, I've had two of them. I was wide awake. I remember them so vividly. One day, it seemed like that I envisioned God. Now, I know that God is a spirit. But because I'm finite in my conception, I always associate a physical body with a personality. And I had to conceive God in the physical sense. And of course, God is so great and he's so majestic until he looked like he was about three times the size of a normal man. But the thing that disturbed me when it seemed that I could conceive God, instead of him standing stalwart the victor over every circumstance as I conceived him to be, he was seated in a kind of a dejected, defeated condition. The arms seemed to hang grotesquely long. And I was shocked and I said, what in the world can imprison the great God? And as I began to look, it seemed like I could see a, cur a cage, like an enlarged canary bird cage. And I thought to myself, what kind of bars can hold a great God? A God that can speak worlds into existence? What in the world has enough strength to hold the Lord? And I began to examine those bars more closely. No, they were not made out of flimsy stuff like steel or something like that. You know what those bars were made out of? The only thing that can imprison the God of Elijah. Those bars were made out of unbelief. Jesus was honest enough to say that there was many things. Didn't say he didn't desire to do them. Didn't say he would not have done them if somebody had prayed in faith. But he said he could not because of their unbelief. I believe there's many a revival, many a camp meeting. There's many a miracle that God is desirous of doing, and God would do it. Would it not for just one reason? Not that his powers have diminished. Not that he's not concerned. But because there are those bars of unbelief, and as long as they remain, there's no channel that God can unleash his power. I closed a revival meeting in Alabama Sunday night. About 38 years ago, when I started out in the ministry, I was in the kind of south-central part of the state of Alabama and revive a meeting. It was in the summertime, back when they used to do what they call lay the crop by. You know, they had, uh, crop was, at that point, they couldn't do any more. They didn't have insecticides and herbicides, uh, and they couldn't kill the weeds, so uh, they just uh, laid it aside until it was ripe. Well, in that period of time, they had their summer meeting. They'd go to church on purpose and kind of eat accidentally, you know. And uh, they would just hold on sometime two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks. I went to hold a revival meeting. We was having morning and evening service, and it was a two-weeks meeting. And I'll never forget, God just moved an unusual power. Now, it couldn't have been great preaching. But we never had a barren service morning or evening the entire meeting. And one of the reasons, there was a lady 
that had a 15-year-old daughter. They only lived two and a half miles from the church. And they attended every service morning and night. Uh, they had different ways they could come. They could come on their packards. They'd pack with their left, then their right, pack with their left, then their, their right, you know. But uh, they attended every service. The first night of that meeting, something that I hardly ever do, I couldn't hardly get through preaching. I had an irresistible urge to get down here to a fella on the right-hand side near the front. I didn't know him. I'd never seen him. But he proved to be the husband of this woman that I'm going to tell you about. I got to him and I said, Mr. Give your heart to God. He said, I don't believe this way. Well, I said, I don't care if you don't. I said, God's a dealing with you. You need God. God loves you. Give God a chance. He said, I don't believe this way. Well, I left him and I went back and prayed with those around the altar. I went home. I had prayer. I went to bed. I went to sleep. He went home. He didn't have prayer. He went to bed. He couldn't sleep. So he got up and walked the floor and cursed me for everything that he could curse me for, you know. But for some reason, he came back the next night. Well, now, I just really thought I wanted to get to him the first night. I tell you that second night, I just couldn't hardly wait for me to get through. I wanted to get to him. And when I got to him, I said, Mister, give your heart to God. I don't believe this way. Well, I said, I don't care if you don't. God's a dealing with you. God loves you. Give God a chance. I don't believe this way. Well, I went and prayed with those around the altar, went home, had prayer, went to bed, went to sleep. He went home, didn't have prayer, went to bed, he couldn't sleep. So he got up and repeated what he had said the first night. You see, if you say everything you know the first night, you won't have anything new the second night. Well, anyhow, the third night the old boy came. <laughs> well, I just thought I wanted to get to him those first two nights. I tell you, I couldn't wait that third night, but I never got to him. He was talking out loud before I ever made the bend. He said, I don't believe this way. <laughs> well, now the devil knew he couldn't stand that pressure. So the devil dressed himself up in a false suit of light, and one of his neighbors had a, a cabin boat on the Tennessee River. Tennessee River is famous for its bass and its crappie. And this fellow came along and said, John, let's go fishing. They could sleep and eat on the boat, stay a week, two weeks if they wanted to. John said, let's go. He wanted to get away. Well, the next morning, here came this lady in, and I was standing in the door, and I wish you could have seen her. You talk about absolute gloom. Her eyes were filled with tears, and her chin was a quivering, and as she passed me in a sobbing voice, she said, Brother Stafford, my husband's gone to the river. And I was praying so desperately that he'd get saved in this revival. Don't give me any credit. I'm not doing it. I just talked before the devil injected any doubt in my mind. I said, Sister, the God that you and I serve can bring your husband off the river. That's all I said. Well, we went ahead and had the service that morning. That night, I was standing at the front door when she came in. I wish you could have seen her. Have you ever seen a mule eating sawbriars? Oh, she was grinning like a mule eating briars. Now, you can go to every university in the country, but you will never really how to learn how to grin properly. But you watch an old Georgia mule eating sawbriars, and it'll start around here and wrap all the way around and have a little left over for good measure. She was aglow when she walked in that night, and all she said when she came by me, she said, John is home. That's all she said. Well, the next morning, here she came, and her face was like a new moon. And that morning, we got out of decency in order. Now, unless you believe I'm truthful, you're not going to believe all I'm going to tell you. We were white people and had our shoes on, but we got blessed out loud. 
I mean, we said amen till you could hear us all the way to the back of the building. We said glory to God until you could understand each word distinctly. Somebody didn't have arthritis and they used about two of their feet and got up and had little spells down the aisle. And don't you know it? We hadn't even announced the first congregational song, but sinners started filing out and started moving toward the altar. Pretty soon there was an altar filled with sinners. Well, nothing you can do but pray with them if they're going to come to the altar, you know. And when we kind of came down to terra firma, there it was. It was about 11.45. Well, I said, folks, there's no use for us to try to have any preaching this morning. It's too late. Well, they said, we don't have any place to go. Go ahead. Well, it's dangerous to tell me that. So I got up to read, and just as I started to read, somebody came in. And I preached about 15 minutes, gave an altar call, and you know who was the first one at the altar? This last fellow that came in, and he prayed like God was pouring hot water down his back. I mean, he was a sounding off. He didn't have laryngitis, and I mean both light and rods was toward heaven, and God struck him with a heavenly bolt, and the old boy prayed too, and there was a refreshing breeze that seemed to sweep over the congregation. And he stood up there before that crowd with his chin a quivering, tears in both eyes. And he said, folks, I'm 53 years of age. He said, this is the first time I've ever attempted to pray in my life. I have never bowed a knee to God until this moment. How did it happen, preacher? Let me tell you. And I said to that lady, sister, the God that you and I serve can bring your husband off the river. Her little red-headed 15-year-old girl heard me. When they'd made the two and a half miles back home, she said, Mother, excuse me. I won't eat any dinner today. She slipped out on a red Alabama hill with the silent pines as a witness, turned tear-bathed eyes that must look like diamonds to the Lord and said, Lord, you can bring my daddy off the river. Now, I can't read it to you chapter and verse, but unless you can prove I'm wrong, don't you ever question me. I think heaven went into high gear. I think every angel got excited. And I think God put gears into motion, and he said, honey, I sure can. And I think the Lord put one hand right on top of that little red-headed girl while she was out there praying in those pines on a real Alabama hill. Then I think he took his other finger and he put it on top of that spark plug of that marine motor in that boat. It was nearly a new motor, and there was nothing wrong with that spark plug, but they huffed and they puffed, and they didn't blow a thing down. They perspired for a little while, then they went to sweating. They used up their English, then they tried profanity. But everything they did, they met with failure. They just worked until they worked themselves down, and finally in disgust, the owner threw the crank down, and he said, John, I'm going home. Nothing John could do but like bull peep sheep come dragging in behind him. And when he came in, he was as mad as, a, mad as a wet hen, you know. And when his wife saw him coming in, she said, Honey, are you going to church with me tonight? No! And she just let him sull and walk two and a half miles on off to church. The next morning, Honey, you're going to church with me? No! She let him sull and walked on off to church. But the next morning we was having that illegal altar service and he was a pace on the floor like a caged animal. If we'd have had our little cut program, we'd have been over before poor old needy feller got there. But about 11 o'clock he couldn't stand it any longer. Finally he turned to his overgrown boy and he said, Son, you watch the beans and the taters. I think I'll go over here where your ma is. 
And while he was a tromping those two and a half miles, we was a having that illegal altar service, you know. And God's timetable is always just exactly right. We came to terra firma just about time old dry, needy individual came in. I mean, the channel was open wide. God didn't need any prime up job. He had a chance to show himself strong. And that old boy prayed clear and prayed through clearly. Did you know the truth of the matter? It's never been where is the Lord God of Elijah. But really it's where is the Elijah of the Lord God? Where is that individual that will be so emptied of self until he'll become a channel through which God can unleash himself in unlimited power and force? You know what would bring a camp meeting the like of which you haven't seen for many a day at God's Bible school? Not the great preaching of Brother Adcock and Brother Taylor. But I'll tell you what would bring a revival that wouldn't be just a little emotional stir, but it would carry back to your church and it would carry back to your home. If every individual would just come to that place, he'd look into the mirror and say from this moment forth, I'm going to be the Elijah of the Lord God. I'm going to be so emptied of self and so yielded to God until there'll be no hindrance or obstruction, God can flow through me just like a channel. I'd like to see God move in our midst, wouldn't you? I'd like to see God just break in on us and do something that we would not accredit to the human. We just all have to go off the hill saying, God has revealed himself in power. God is able to do it. God is desirous of doing it. All that God needs is some channels through which it can flow. Will you be one of those channels? Let's stand to our feet. I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the fire. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Interchurch Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. I don't want to lose the fire. I don't want to lose the fire.